welcome to another bonus episode, another portfolio profile episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. We're going to the metaverse today, everybody. <laughs> um, people said when I said uh, that we were going to do this interview today, Brian actually invested in a metaverse company. Yes, I did. And I think you're going to hear why. Um, I have uh, two of the team, two of the founding team of Treasury with me today. We've got uh, John Manicherry. Hi. Hi, John. And we have uh, Shawnee Foster. Shawnee, be more responsive than John. <laughs> Hello. Nice to, nice to be here. Uh, all right. But I'm going to kick it back to you, John, to start us off by give me the, the two-minute um, what is Treasury, with the caveat being that we're not going to reveal everything today because we're still sort of in stealth. We're still in development mode. But um, give me real quick the broad outlines of what Treasury is as of right now. Yeah. Okay. So, so the key premise, right, um, on the basis of which we recruited investment and, and we think we're doing something useful is that people that are building virtual digital environments of whatever sort, for whatever reason, many of which are covered under the heading these days of metaverse, um, need and often don't know that they need very high quality, what we call digital spatial assets, which is essentially buildings and environments licensed and available to them because either it's too hard to make them quickly or because the things that they want actually are owned by people in an IP sense, right? The Eiffel Tower or the, you know, the Freedom Tower in New York. Uh, and so it's a, a licensing tool set, we call it a syndication pipeline. And if we're lucky enough to grow big enough, it'll become an ecosystem of actors and, and tools around licensing and distribution of very high quality, digital spatial assets for people building digital spatial environments. Is it too cute to to use the term primitives? Perhaps we're building some of the primitives that will allow the broader uh, metaverse to flourish? Um, uh, I would avoid the word primitives on the basis that it has a sort of technical implication that it's like it's it's simplistic building blocks. I would say that these, these are foundational features or elements of a good digital spatial environment. Basically, what we believe is that uh, people that are building metaverses or digital spatial environments, be it for entertainment purposes, film purposes, uh, holistic health purposes, sustainability, there's many reasons to build digital environments. Um, all of those things need high quality building models and environmental models. And I would say that those things, they're not primitive, they're actually very, very, very sophisticated. That's why I think we have an opportunity to contribute but they are foundational, right? You cannot do what you want to do without those things. And I think that in the rush to set up the metaverse, particularly people that kind of narrativize as a VR thing, people have kind of forgotten that you need these quality environments and they're very hard to make and or they are already owned in IP terms. And so having a syndication system for that is essential. That's our thesis. I, I use the term um, foundation uh, when I described it on, on the show today, uh, what we were going to talk about. Um, before we get into it real quick, um, what's your background? Uh, do you come from VR things? Uh, do you, are you a, a designer? Like, um, for both of you, how do you find yourself working on, um, a metaverse project? Okay. So, so my background is in architectural and environmental science, right? So I started my career at the United Nations environment program. I wrote their policy on sustainable urban consumption, 
um, became a consultant, did a bunch of consulting on, on carbon sequestration, a bunch of other sustainability things, did a bunch of research on consumption, gradually made my way into architecture, took a post-professional architecture diploma, and then became basically an architecture consultant in sustainability and gradually became more of a kind of actual competent or somewhat competent architect and specialized in something that became my other company, which is called Last Meter, which is a way of integrating urban user services into architectural design for sustainability and housing density and urban morphology op quality purposes. And um, that work is still ongoing. It's moving forward far too slowly, I believe, um, because of the nature of the built environment as a industry or regulatory space. And also because you know I've, I've been learning how to do like business shit slowly, um, but in that I basically discovered um, I got very good at technology, <laughs> architectural design technology and platform technology and just technology and coding and all other, all sorts of other ways. And I mean we can we can do a bit more on this when we kind of talk about exactly what the fuller background of treasury is. But mm -hmm. in my expertise base is basically at that boundary of architectural design, environmental science and sustainable design and I mean technology from like web coding to you know all conventional platform SaaS stacks and in particular architectural design technology in the form of um uh computational design, you know, rent you know game design stuff. So that's a kind of thematic background. I mean you should ask Shawnee how she got into it. Uh, in a second, I mean, all that stuff in the end, right? We'll talk a bit more about this when we discuss treasury, but that stuff leads in this direction, right? I'll explain how I kind of got precisely into it, but it's pretty adjacent to what this ends up being. In Shawnee's case, I think one of the reasons why she's involved in this, you know, she can speak for herself, but she wouldn't set herself up in this way, is because I won't say tricked her in, but I induced her in. Um, the, I want to give a little background on Shawnee because she, she, she will not say that she's basically an emerging Twitter star. And the reason for that is very interesting is she's basically a genius, right? She comments on society and modern mores in a way that I find very interesting. And Castor on Twitter was thinking, this is a very clever person. She said she was looking for a full-time job. She's been working in marketing design. And I thought, well, what we're doing actually requires so much framing to get it right. We cannot just hustle up some tech and hope that what we want to be, which is a kind of meeting point for uh, design creatives, urban morphology and sustainability, platform technology, experiential like innovation, you need kind of a, like a, a disciplined but expansive mind for that. And when I saw that she was <laughs> making marketing skills available. I was like, quick, I need to grab that that brain firepower. And then for reasons she can describe, she became a fool. But anyway, that's my setup to Shawnee because she wouldn't give it she won't give you her background that way. All right. Well Shawnee, go with that with that um, tee up. Yes. Yeah. So um so my background is more in um digital marketing. I did a lot of e-com stuff. Um, but I was freelancing for a while and did some like, um, you know, SaaS consulting in, in like marketing and strategy space. Um, I would say in general, the reason I got involved with Treasury is I've always been very, very interested in technology in general. I'm, I would probably call myself like a tech optimist. Um, but also that I've always been really interested in doing things very very strategically and very in a high quality manner um and so then when i met john um he obviously was very very intent on doing um this project and and, and growing treasury in a way that was um 
very more like artistic and um, uh, spoke to kind of the things that I thought were important. Um, I don't really like doing things half-assed. I don't like, um, uh, you know, I like challenging myself basically. And so um, when he came to me with the idea at first, I was like, this is completely unhinged. And I was like, okay, it's so unhinged, let's do it. But uh, the more and more we've been working together, um, the more um, we've definitely been very aligned on um, kind of our strategy and our goals um, with regard to treasury. So I, that's probably the, the, the very short version. <laughs> well, where, where did the idea for treasury come from? Because again, it's not like, oh, either of you have, oh, I've, I've been doing uh, VR for 15 years or things like that. Like, so, <clears throat> you know, when when the when the idea of the metaverse starts to bubble back to the surface in in society and and tech and stuff um what was the impetus to be like oh well we can do something here and and like what what was the original germ of the well, idea so it's actually it's actually a pretty in a way kind of old fashioned story in the sense that um last meter exists uh, i think it will move forward and grow uh, in due course while it is moving slower than I would like, I started a podcast on spatial technology. In other words, the broader technologies around, um, you know, architecture and sustainability and kind of technical optimization pathways for urban morphologies. And so, you know, that conversation uh, on that podcast moved in different directions, different architecture tech things, city things, and so forth. And, um, you know, it ended up being funded by Unre uh, by uh, Epic Games, Unreal Engine, because they came on it and thought, hey, this is actually very high quality architectural technology content. And through that kind of discussion and thinking channel, you know, inevitably, I kind of was like at the boundary of what people are doing in like NFT space or metaverse space and so forth. And like I was asking people, you know, I saw some people like trying to use NFTs to license um, digital assets. And I was like, are you selling these things? Or are you are you are you selling them for licensing for reuse? I got a very vague answer. I was thinking it's very odd you would use this quite sophisticated technology NFTs to just sell things on a unique basis rather than license them in a sophisticated sort of differentiated way. And then the other question I asked was, you know, uh, and I asked this question of Matt Ball, right? He's the big metaverse uh, guru, the guy I think has put like a lot of like quite robust analytical framing on on the metaverse premise without it you know without without it but while avoiding a lot of the hype um i said to him you do realize that you're gonna have to you as the meta, meta the people building the metaverse stuff are gonna have to license a lot of content because a it's very hard to make good stuff and b a lot of it is owned in terms of intellectual property he was like really so i explained that to him and it was shocking to me that it was um not so obvious perhaps to him uh in, in immediately and then once i <laughs> explained it all to me he said okay i would invest in that and i was like oh you mean so so then what happened was is in understanding having investigated some of the licensing of digital assets that was being innovated out there in space and then hearing that it might be useful to create a licensing pipeline for high-end uh and sort of technically rigorous spatial design content. I just asked a bunch of my architecture colleagues at very, very high-end architecture offices, would you like to syndicate your content to be the backbone of game and film and, you know, environmental optimization and urban morphology, you know, uh, planning? And they said, yeah, God, fuck yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, 
why why is no one doing this in a state i'm still in a state of shock right there's something very very straightforward analytically I mean, technically it's complicated but analytically straightforward which is very good quality content because it's technically hard to make or it's owned should be licensed out needs to be licensed out at massive scale put a deck together and within a couple of months we had a fantastic crew of funders joining in another couple of months we closed the round and that's it um, and happy to be part of that round. But um, speaking of, of Matt Ball, who was on the show not too long ago, <clears throat> we, um, you know, inevitably when we talk about these things, we we say to people, uh, the metaverse means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Your idea of the metaverse might be different than Mark Zuckerberg's idea of the metaverse is just a good place to have meetings for work. But uh, what, in, in both your minds, what is the metaverse, what are we talking about here that you're building for? Um, okay, so, yeah, I mean, I'll sort of run up to this uh, in, 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 in a couple of ways. I mean, there's lots of times, right, in you know, in society, in particular the progress technology, in which a lot of stuff that's going on is captured under a certain word because people like uh, I think in a kind of trivial sense, people like simplistic narratives, but also I think the human mind does need some kind of narrative to encapsulate and to engage with, you know, complex forces as they play out. And so I think that the the metaverse as a word is probably about as useful uh, as the phrase cyberspace was in the early, well, the late 90s and the early mm. 2000s, mm -hmm. in the sense it was a kind of catch-all word that did crystallize some things, but also falsified a bunch of other things. Right. And so with that caveat, right, we will I will continue to use the word metaverse. But what I really mean is the the unfolding phenomena beneath it. All right. So that's the first thing is that, you know, I have some caution about the use of the word metaverse. And I don't really need to kind of justify the use of it. I'll just say it captures a certain tr trend or blend of phenomena more specifically right, to give you parts of what we call our spatial web thesis, which, you know, when you put in the, you put this in the show notes, but it will, it is a technical extrapolation of what we think is going on. Uh, and I'll just go through it step by step, because this is the kind of fundamental version of the answer to you know, your question. I mean, I, I believe, uh, and Treasury is built on the idea that there is what we call a spatial tech convergence, first point, uh, to, that will lead to new infrastructure layers of the internet. Let me let me unpack that a bit, right? Spatial technology is a variety of domains and historically they've been very separate. So you might have, for example, geosensing tech, right? You know, satellites and land sonar and, you know, uh, mapping and GIS and whatnot. And it's all classic stuff, right? You might use it to work out mines or to track, you know, to, to map the oceans and so forth. That's one area of, of spatial technology. Another area of spatial technology is classic um, architecture tech, right? CAD, that's become BIM, um, and, you know, whatever tools are used, in, and then it's kind of parametric design on top of that stuff. Uh, and so that's a the domain of spatial technology. There's another domain, gaming technology, right? It actually is very different in its technical stack and its interfaces and its presumptions as a value model in architecture, even though they end up creating environments if you like right visualizing 3d environments another domain of space technology would be sensing tech right so vr goggles or ar you know viewing systems another domain of spatial tech would be capture systems so you've got lidar and you've got you know photogrammetry and you've got you know whatever else you've got tons of different and there's, there's other domains right that's, that's a solid five of them now our view is that these technologies are converging 
into a kind of um, universal deployment capability of things that are spatialized, right? So sensing tech and scanning tech and visualization tech and design tech and render tech uh, are all gonna fucking merge. Now, it's kind of on the cards if you spend a lot of time in this domain, right? So when you say, oh, well, you've not been in VR, the truth is that if you work in architect architectural design and architecture tech, you are in VR. You're permanently looking at VR rigs and AR rigs and thinking it's all shit and the clients don't want it. So you look at it and dump it, basically. And that's why it looks like you're not in it because you know, you know it's not mature, but you can see it evolving step by step by step. And what we generally believe in particular is that architecture tech and game tech, in other words, building things by arbitrarily precise elements, which is how you know CAD and BIM works, and render tech, which you have like a, a texture and a mesh and a, and, a, and a finished look, and you actually have to build components into that. Those two in particular are going to merge. Now, all of that, right, that's, that's a convergence piece, we think are going to end up as um, uh, uh, infrastructural layers in the evolved internet. Right. Just let me get a step back so you get a sense of how that might play out. Like when Google at the, at the very end of the 90s was innovating in search, literally just kind of a year or two out of kind of like Stanford fucking dorm rooms, it wasn't just a breakthrough in some kind of search algorithm. Right. Right. Larry Page's back rub algorithm, right, you know, um, which then became PageRank, wasn't the innovation alone that made Google possible. It was the fact that. There was very fast internet and there was very cheap storage and there was very increasing very cheap memory. So what happened is there was a convergence of infrastructural quality technologies in which one or two things suddenly could capture a value proposition and become very, very viable. Right. So one of the things that defined Google search quite early on is they put all their search um, index in memory rather than on hard drives, which meant that when you when you searched for a result. Uh, the 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 result came, what came back wicked fast. Right, you couldn't do that unless infrastructure scale commodity memory was available to searches everywhere. And so the situation now for us is that we think right that the internet, everything that is internet enabled right now in commerce and culture and you know in 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 policy and you know uh, health. Is essentially going to get a spatial layer in exactly the same way. Well, I mean, in an analogous way that everything in the internet or in the digital realm got a search layer at the end of the 90s, right? There's going to be 3D content everywhere. Now, that is what we call the spatial web thesis is that there are many converging spatial texts, there'll be infrastructure class, and there'll be part of everything. And so that is a nuance. And what the metaverse will end up being. So we go back to the concept of the of cyberspace. All right, people said, you know, in the you know the from the ninety basically in the nineties, um, oh, you know, cyberspace is coming. We go to cyberspace, we'll get trapped there. You know, people will spend too much time in this you know this abstract world. Sounds rather like, frankly, when you go back to the old stupid quotes, like people talk about the metaverse. Oh, we're going to get you want to get lost in VR and so forth. Truth is, we never went to cyberspace. Cyberspace came to us. There is a bit of internet in everything. That's the way it works out. And so what happens is, rather than the internet being a thing you log into or you go to cyberspace, it's become a layer on top of the physical, technical reality we're in in the you know the second half of the twentieth century. Exactly the same is going to happen with this spatial layer. And so if you want to understand what the metaverse is, basically think about it like this. Think of anything that has internet right now and think of how some small piece of infrastructure quality 
3D visualization is going to be in there. It doesn't need to be a lot, right? The, th the, thing, the thing is, is that if we take mapping, for example, like mapping is the first piece of the spatial tech convergence and infrastructural layering of the internet. No one builds map products anymore. Why? Because mapping is an infrastructural commodity. So you have a product, you're going to put mapping in it. Almost I mean, countless products now have some geopositioning and mapping in them. Right, which is the, which is the first piece of validation. I would say that a spatial layer on top of the conventional internet is coming. We think there's going to be a lot more of it. A lot of it will be three D. A lot of it will be very minimalistic rather than fully immersive. But that's our broad take on the metaverse. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's coherent or satisfying, but it is something of what would motivates us. Well, it is. I mean, you got the history hat tingling with me by saying cyberspace um because you know shawnee uh cyberspace or the internet as it was described to people in 1995 say people would ask is it is it gaming is it communications is it commerce and it ended up being sort of all of the above and even more that people didn't anticipate and even some things that people thought it would be it didn't end up being so um what's your take in terms of the um the it's going to be like that. It's going to be everything and some things that we think it's going to be. It's not, but it's going to be sort of all pervasive um, and all encompassing in the same way that the internet uh, took over our lives. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously uh, resonate with, you know, everything that John said. Um, but I think that's also kind of just going back to like why I got involved um, with treasury and, and, you know, the metaverse stuff, even though maybe my background doesn't align completely with that uh, is that, I do um, find it very interesting and and very um, like feasible in the future that that these things are just not going to go away. You know, once something takes hold, it's not just gonna we're not gonna be like, oh, that was a good experiment. Like, <laughs> well, it didn't work. Like, let's let's shut it down. Um, and so all of these things that that we're building on, um, I think in in most of like historical scenarios with stuff like this, and as you're talking about cyberspace and stuff, is that we tend to overshoot things sometimes um, and kind of go the farthest, you know, craziest ideas possible. Um, and and maybe those don't work, but then there's always going to be elements of those crazy ideas ideas that'll stick around. Um, and so I think that's what we're going to see um, for the metaverse and, and uh, spatial web um, emergence as well, is that um, people are, are quick to say, oh, it's, it's uh, too much. It's, it's, uh, you know, anti, you know, what uh, being, you know, human is. But I think that Mm. fundamentally a lot of the things that we um that we're working on and that a lot of people are working on are going to stick around um and then kind of just really finding that sweet spot and um really enabling um that tech to to grow and to kind of um you know help the metaverse grow in in a way that you know is is good for everybody and that everybody maybe doesn't even notice <laughs> that it's yeah. happening what, 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 one, one more kind of little idea from the spatial web, you know, thesis which we've which we've developed. I mean, I think there are, there are a couple of ways in which we can understand the, the couple of key axes, right, key dimensions of the the spatial tech convergence that's happening. And I think the metaverse conversation would actually be helped very much if it was more explicit about about this. And so, 
let's imagine that that one of the things we're talking about in, in, in terms of you know the, the metaverse or, or digital spatial environments or spatial tech in general is some concept of immersivity that we are immersing ourselves in some spatial realm all right now one, one of the problems with the metaverse conversation as it is currently is that there's some presumption and there's quite a lot of like uh, you know, uh, w would be norms from, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and others that we should spend a lot of time in a very technically or visually immersive environment, right? And, you know, fine, if people want to do that, that that's fine. I think the problem is that mainly humans don't experience what I call immersivity just through their raw senses, right? And so the, I think the correct thing to do to understand the immersivity of spatial environments, these digital spatial environments, is to split immersivity into two categories. One is what you might call technical immersivity. So you know, how, how much you know, biophysically do you feel you're inside an environment? And then narrative immersivity, which is how much psychologically do you feel you're inside or attached to uh, a specific environment? And that distinction is rather profound because what you end up with, uh, and to, to Shawnee's point about overshoot, is quite possibly very minimal applications of spatial technology. In other words, very limited uh, uh, technical or biophysical analogous immersivity, very high levels of narrative immersivity. I'll give you an example again from the world of mapping, right? You might not think that you're in a metaverse when you look at Google Maps, but you really you are. You are on a pin on a map and there's a little story about your existence in this in this in this digital analog of the spatial realm that represents you now that narrative becomes a bit more immersive when you have you know you ask for directions i'm here i want to go there right so you have to follow directions in this little mini fake universe on your phone to get from a to b all very well now if you suddenly are in a situation where there's an accident you have to get to hospital or you know your wife is pregnant you get to hospital suddenly the narrative immersivity is immense you absolutely must follow the directions correctly otherwise real things in your real life will be impacted profoundly and so what you have is no increase in technical immersivity in a map in a google maps instance but a you you know, contextual increase in narrative immersivity and understanding those two distinctions, like what is the narrative layering on top of the technical in technical deployment of the spatial environment. I think that will unlock for us probably most of the value that will come from metaversization or spatialization of the internet, which is when we work out what matters to us, we can apply the right amount of spatial immersivity. We might discover it's a tiny amount as it is for a Google Maps instance, but with huge narrative payoffs. And for me, that basically dismisses most of, like 90% of most of the dumb criticism of Metaverse, which is, oh, we don't, want to, we don't want to go to VR. Yeah, no fucking shit, we don't want to go to VR. But we might want some 3D queue or spatial queue to infinite stuff around us. Why not, why not, let's have that, right? I wanna, I wanna pull back on a couple things that you've said previously that I've been making note of to come back to. And the first one would be, um, when you said, you know, is this good for us? Is this going to be good for society? And you say it kind of doesn't matter because it's going to be pervasive, sort of like the internet is. But think of the classic way that it's been depicted in media, which is, you know, jacking in and sort of like, you know, no longer worrying about the outside world. Or, um, you know, I live in a shipping crate, like in Snow Crash, because the real world doesn't matter as much as it does what I do in, in cyberspace. Do, how much are you thinking about, like, 
the net good to society. It sounds like you're you're very optimistic about that. Like this is just the next stage of the entire connecting the whole world digitally. But but what do you say to people who are like, yeah. well, so, this is never yeah, going to work out yeah, because it's yeah. never going to replace right. the real so, world. So there's there's a couple of couple of layers here, right? I mean, I I, I mean, Shawnee Shawnee may have a different view on this. We haven't discussed this a great deal, but we we have like an overarching position for the company, which is not quite the same as the comment I'm about to make. So we can, you know, so so I know that Sean is aligned on the company's sort of outlook on this, but there's a there's a sort of foundational position which I, I want to share. And it happens to be my view and it certainly motivates me is that um I mean I am fundamentally like my main motivation in life is I mean understanding uh uh technical and creative things, contributing where I can to those things, and ultimately wanting in a very crude and sort of stupid sense for the world not to destroy itself by by overshooting resource capabilities or just destroying nature in general that motivates me a very great deal and what and what inspires me what keeps me not cynical is a very simple insight which is the world is infused the universe is infused with intelligence i don't mean divine intelligence but just smart shit right physics and chemistry and biology and um and material science uh, are all just massively intelligent things they re- they respond to intelligent they, they 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 exhibit some kind of intelligence i don't think that necessarily is a theistic argument but i do believe that the world is filled with smart stuff and if we respond to that in kind we get good things out of it and so sustainability is possible good things are possible and i actually think that argument does apply to technology right i do think that that technology in its pure like digital technology in its purest sense so i'm going to separate that from industrial technology industrial tech is a bit different but the digital technology I think is a very good instantiation of some analog, what I just described about the 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 the, the, the world of natural science, of the real world. Uh, it just exhibits intelligence, right? Now, that's not to say it's necessarily good, but I do think that it is important to have some um, to to use the argument of the neutrality, not just neutrality, but the kind of the radiant intelligence of tech on a certain basic level um, to have a touchstone there, right? And not to be cynical per se, that things that are logic-based are back. I think the things that are logic-based or structured in a certain way, I say an, an analogized nature and I think that intelligence and certain kinds of structures are obviously good. So general argument about things that have some kind of structure or exhibit some kind of intelligence, I think trends to the good. Now, the way tech is deployed, I mean, it's a very well-trodden argument. I don't want to kind of get into it like in a very great, in a very great deal. I do think it's not quite right to say the technology is is you know is neutral, right? I think the the the, the technical essence of nature and science and tech, I do think, is trends to exhibiting the goodness of the intelligence of the universe or something. But tech as deployed, okay, quite a lot of problems. Um, you know, the cliche ones, military tech or whatever, or just exploitation tech. Um, but then also, then we get real problems of, you know, people who are claiming that what they're doing is neutral and it's just code are massively distorting information flows. And this is one of the challenges of Facebook is at what point does anything they do stop being or start being uh, inappropriate influence on the flow of information or attitudes or whatever. So that conversation is quite problematic, right? But there is a very easy response to it, right? Which is just to make decisions on the basis of what you think is correct. No one needs to pretend to be an impartial observer when they deploy tech, right? So actually you can short circuit a lot of the implications of is tech good or bad by saying, you know what? I want to use tech for a good thing. 
right? So what I've tried to structure is two parts of a three-part, you know, framing of this, which the first part is I think that science, technology, the, the technical structures of the natural world are inspiring and give us an, the sense that we can do good things and the, we can make the world and lives better, whether it's the human mind or it's managing resources or whatever it may be. There is a whole gray area of pretending tech is not influenced by choices. That is silly. Uh, tech isn't as applied as opposed to as constructed, as applied, it's not neutral. But that leads to a very simple conclusion. Just don't do bad things. And it's not that you, you, know, you ask people to believe that you won't do them. Make commitments, invite regulations, structure society in a way that good things are likely to be you know, the outcomes of it. And guess what? We've already done that. Right. The whole reason why we have, you know, morality and laws and, you know, weight, mores and ways of doing things is because in the end, we all think we're probably good. Right. We, we build civilizational progress exists, but we have safeguards and structures and they're relatively qualified. Let's just do the same with tech. Right. Believe in good things, do good things, regulate for good things. So in our case, right, it's actually relatively straightforward. I believe that there is a lot of potential in not just actually technical things, but actually spatial design and urban morphology to massively liberate psychologically beneficial outcomes, new forms of creativity, new forms of expression, new forms of association and, and, and gathering and communication. And ultimately, the big one, making the physical world more sustainable. I think that's definitely possible. We know lots of ways of doing it. So we just have to decide to do it. Right. So Treasury has a very specific mission, which is we'd love to do the practical thing of making high quality data rich models licensable for massive application purposes. But we make a very simple decision. We just want to do good shit. It's not like Google saying don't be evil. We just will do constructive things. So the amorality is, is a choice. I don't believe in it. So we are focusing on what in our specific language. Um, uh, the making sure that what happens in, in digital spatial environments brings definable value back to the world of real people. That's it. So let me let me jump in uh, right now for my second one because you know we've explicitly mentioned like Zuckerberg and we're implicitly sort of talking about him and and things as well by talking about don't be evil and whatnot. Um, one of the one of the bear cases for the metaverse is that, hey, aren't you guys noticing that all of the big tech, platform, tech platforms are moving into this space because they see it's the next big thing, and they have the resources to colonize and monopolize it like they did the internet? Um, and so is your bet that um, the metaverse is going to be this interoperable thing, and it's not going to be some platform that you have to play on that is owned by somebody else? Um, well, okay. Uh, um, that is, I, I, I don't mean that you are stupid asking this question, but I do think that's quite a stupid um, uh, trend in the debate. I mean, the reality is we know how this stuff works, right? Which is that the internet is the internet because of the way that the protocols are structured, right? TCPIP, um, which is the protocol stack of the internet, they are open architectures, right? So when they're set up, Anyone can evolve them in specific ways. And this debate is, is you know, this is, it's, it's, I, mean, I would say it's more or less a, a done debate, which is if you want openness, build open protocols. If you don't, you don't, right? And so, and so where I get very frustrated with people commentating on the large platforms is that rather than saying, let's in, enforce 
a certain protocol discipline, which is exactly what happened in the early days of the internet. John Postel at, Stan at Stanford basically said to the military, no, no, we don't want to use your protocol stack. We're going to use this protocol stack because it's inherently more open. Um, I want the debate to be directed to governance bodies, which don't really exist yet, frankly, for, for you know, internet architectures to say everything should be protocol based. And so um, it's pointless to ask Facebook not to, to be Facebook, right? Ironically, what you get is if you ask the large platforms to be generous and open, you just kind of get stuck in their fucking giant maw of, you know, platform let, 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 me, let me cut you off. Let me, let me ask this a different way. Forget about whether they have the resources and they, um, you know, uh, bludgeon everyone into their version of the metaverse because that didn't work for Bill Gates, who saw that um, what was coming next would be high bandwidth, high broadband. You know, uh, it, it, the, the internet as we know it today. Okay, but the reason that Bill Gates lost is because something else got pop popular faster. So what if let's 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 get away from Facebook? What if the thing that becomes popular is like we see with Fortnite or we see with like Roblox or we see what if the platform what if the thing that gets popular first that we would call the metaverse is owned and refuses to be interoperable? Do yeah. you have okay, Brian, faith no, Brian, that Brian, it can Brian, go yeah, beyond Brian, that? Right, right. There, there are two really profound things that get confused here, right? The fact that Facebook has, let's say, three billion monthly active users does not change the fact that if you want to build a social network for your friends based on Wikimedia or any open source technology that is directly on uh, on open protocols on the internet, you can do that. Facebook doesn't, doesn't prevent you from communicating. Well, this is why it's confusing. People seem to think that because they're these very massive, like long tail collectors, people that have collected the massive aggregation power of the social graph or whatever it may be, the search graph, um, that somehow they control the internet. No, they just control a lot of attention. And if you don't want to go there, don't go there, right? It's genuinely very odd to me that we are saying, because something's got very big, people are somehow sucked into it because either we believe that people have agency and capacity to engage in independently of, of those things, which technically they do, uh, or they don't. And so, I, so I'm, I'm a little bit kind of end running your question, which is I genuinely believe that with open protocols and human curiosity, we will continue to build good things and we'll continue to have a lot of free association. I, the, the, I think the correct way to answer your question, is it good for society if the big companies make the big things and have so much you know, resources and advertising firepower that they go and get sucked into it? I would say that is not a good thing. So that's a fact. But I, but I also think that if you, if you want to, 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 to militate against it, um, you need a technical pathway for getting a solution out because just screaming at them is not that solution. It's screaming at regulators to to break them up isn't that solution, right? So I, I, I'm very aware, right, of the implication of your question, which is that it is not good for there to be far too much aggregation power in the hands of a few platform companies. I just think the way to get to an answer is not just to scream at them and say, give us some power back somehow, whatever, however that would work, doesn't work. You need an actual pathway, and that's why I talk about protocols. So I do think, right, the middle ground question here, the middle ground, middle ground answer is I do actually think, right, that I mean, whether it's crypto or it's other things, I do actually think that open architectures tend to win in the end, right? It's not accidental that a lot of what Amazon and Google and Facebook build on are open architectures. They use tons of open source software. You know, they're all running on Linux boxes somewhere in the cloud, right, or Unix 
there's a, there's a lot of you know <laughs> validation that open architectures win. How people monetize that, how they manipulate their monetization, aggregation power is a separate question. But I would say when it comes to spatial tech, open architectures are probably going to win for all the same reasons they've always won in the past. Now that's maybe overly optimistic in terms of the aggregate impact, but if you want to talk about the aggregate impact, it has to be a serious conversation about how you regulate tech. And that probably isn't for this podcast, but just screaming at large platform companies is fucking useless. And I am so done with it because no one gets any benefit from it. So what is what is the bet that you're making with Treasury? And if you're talking about building um, things that are a better infrastructure, that are, are more uh, just or, or morally correct, or even you've used the words a lot of times, like just like better quality even. Yeah. So how what what is the bet that Treasury is making and what are you building to get to what you've just described? I mean, so there's a number of bets. I mean, I'll start with the simple ones, right? I mean, the simple ones, just in kind of like mechanical, like opportunity, are, as I say, the two primary tool pieces of the uh, of the treasury kind of like tool set, a licensing thing, right? In enabling creators of digital assets to put a an ownership certificate on them and uh, an intent to or to, to manage their own intent to monetize an asset or to distribute an asset without monetization but to do it in a controlled way and then a syndication system which is basically a distribution system with some kind of monitoring or or asset management attached to it those are the those are the two things right so the bet is people that are building digital spatial environments are going to need high quality assets that are, that are easy to access through a distribution system and are well licensed in the sense that whatever the ownership status is, whether it's for money or non-profit or whatever it may be, is respected uh, when the asset is deployed, right? So that's the technical thesis. I mean, the, the broader thesis back to the question, you know, of, of how does it play out to people's benefit is really, we just, in simple terms, we're focusing on assets that have a ton of value. Are they aesthetically useful? Are they experientially useful? Are they attached to a known design brand aesthetic vision and ultimately also can they take data sets that enable radical transformation in terms of efficiency of morphology and architectural design so there's a, a bunch of criteria that we apply to what's worth us bringing into a to a licensing and distribution tooling environment but the baseline thesis is people need the stuff our premium thesis if you like is we want to focus on the stuff that's really good and add tons of value and and it, this is not um, like Unity, like this is our platform and this is our thing that you have to play in. You're more describing that the people that can create these valuable assets, these high quality assets. Yeah. yeah. This you're a you're a delivery mechanism. You're a, not that's the wrong word. You're more the the infrastructure that allows in a in a coherent way for that sort of stuff to to surface, to be sold, to be licensed, to be used. Um, uh, whether it be um, from company A, platform B or open uh, yeah, sources, exactly. everything. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, just, just to add a little bit, little bit more to technical layering here, right? So we believe, for example, that the convergence format for um, all high-quality, uh, high-resolution, particularly spatial assets is a thing called universal scene description, right? Which is an open source sort of, it's not really a file format, it's like a file encapsulation format for, for digital 3D assets, right? That was created by Pixar, Right. This gives you a flavor of how you know, o o o like um, uh, open protocols 
or something that just keep on recurring. Pixar, as part of its own private workflow, needed a way to manage a lot of different 3D file formats. So they created Universal Scene Description as a way to encapsulate different file formats in one like Photoshop-style, non-destructive, layered editing system. So that way of managing files, we think is going to be the reference format for basically large-scale 3D assets. They will be output in different ways. They'll be output in GLTFs, which is one of the standard web ways of viewing uh, 3D assets. But you know, already Apple has created a version of USD, USD called USDZ for its own like iOS and um, you know Safari-based 3D viewing. So that is the technical way that things will be distributed. And essentially what we're saying is let's let creators decide where they want their assets to go. So our pipeline is um, become a accredited uh, creator, either creator or owner of you know, digital spatial assets, register your asset in the sense that we will mint it, we'll identify you as having some association with it. And when you are ready to syndicate it, in other words, send it out for licensing, first we go we do an IP check to make sure in actual fact you do own the, the, uh, the IP associated with it. And then our syndication model is like this. The creators can decide, is it for sale on what terms, for what price? We will guide some of that. We have a kind of semi-automated like licensing and fingerprinting machine on the, what we call the asset registry. What then happens is a bit different from any other way of doing these kinds of things. Rather than us having unique controlled endpoint marketplace we we have built one of those which we call our discovery engine we're trying to create a headless syndication model where basically anybody with an environment it could be fortnite it could be horizon worlds it could be anyone with a metaverse project of any sort open source closed source whatever it want can get a api feed to the assets on exactly the same syndication terms that the creators have set for everyone else right so our endpoint marketplace our discovery engine is literally just an infrastructure—it's a, it's a head. It's a, it's a it's a front end on an infrastructural distribution model that we like. We want everyone to have access to. And so what that means is that we're not trying to control either the inputs or the outputs. We've got licensing tools that enable creators to uh, register, archive, fingerprint their assets flexibly. That's all free, by the way. And the syndication system we think is tooled for many multi-metaverses, if you like. Um, and if we can get value out of distributing these assets in a good way, we, that's great. If people just want to use our tools to fingerprint and archive their assets and syndicate them themselves, we don't get any money from that. We think that's the correct way of doing it. We don't control the input, don't control the output. We put tools in the middle for everybody and monetize the distribution that we facilitate. We also definitely want to get into the space because I think this is where the big money is going to come from or the big impact is going to come from making sure that the models that are made have multiple usage endpoints, right? And one of the problematic narratives with a lot of metaverse stuff is, oh, we'll have a sexy environment for games or something. And it's kind of pretty trivial. I think where a lot of the good stuff is going to come from is a model of the real world used for imaginative purposes, but also all sorts of optimization purposes, safety, occupancy, and ultimately efficiency of resources and transport and consumption, i.e. sustainability. And so the use cases we want to extract from these models isn't just, oh, deploy it for a game. We want to help the creators and owners of digital spatial assets get many, many value streams out of them, in particular, the ones that, in, that, that uh, impact human <laughs> well-being in the real world. <laughs> Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies. But when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination 
producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. So we started this episode by saying we're kind of alluding to the fact that we're quasi not ready to show everybody everything yet. Things are still being developed, but also um, we were going to be sort of broad and vague about uh, what the product is. Um, but you just described in a, in a general sense um, something that's very exciting. How, how far away is that with the understanding that, you know, we've been discussing that you're going to come back and share more when, when we're ready for a big uh, reveal to the world. But like, what is the state of treasury right now like what is the state of development and um how far away do you think you are from being able to um show what you're doing to the world well so i will so shawnee will share like a little like setup in terms of how we're going from our spatial web thesis to demand side market analysis market outreach and so forth and you know communications because there's, there's a bunch of stuff that the people can actually connect to in terms of you know, like newsletters and events and whatnot in product wise right um we're about to launch uh the website it's taking a little bit of time because so much of the technical product is actually attached to the website because we've got a whole web gl viewing system but um, basically we've built four pieces of tooling a registry system for assets and so everybody who owns or creates digital spatial assets in architecture, landmark real estate, game, film, and digital art is very welcome to, to connect because we're not ready to announce them yet, but a bunch of extremely high architecture offices, uh, real estate operators, some game and some film people are already 
ingesting assets uh, into the, the treasury for uh, distribution. Um, and so we're ready to bring everybody in. We'll do all the demos of the registry system, and the uh, the fingerprinting protocol, the minting protocol privately, right? But we are ready to demo that stuff. We have a, a discovery engine for viewing, which we're also demonstrating to clients in different segments, which, you know, Shawnee will, will mention. Again, it's in private view right now as we fix the assets inbound and kind of fiddle with all the, you know, the WebGL stuff. We also have a um, curation tool so that anybody outside of the uh, creator's offices, Instagram followers, fans of great, cool stuff can add value that we're using Unreal Engine for that. And we have an indexing system where we have a volumetric model of everybody in the world on the basis that at some point it's going to find its way into the metaverse, particularly for the purposes of engineering sustainability and just building up to make real work built work, built environment optimization so registry discovery uh curation tool and indexing tool now all of that's in private view right now so if if you're interested as a creator to have your assets syndicated in a very very trustworthy technically robust way connect um the web domain is treasury.space um if you're a, anybody building a metaverse project or digital twin project or anything involving digital spatial environments, short-term, long-term, entertainment-based, sustainability-based, connects. We, we we want to bring assets to you. If you're a data tooling company, you're a software company in design technology, whatever, connect. We would love to connect you to the evolving ecosystem. So we are happy to show people stuff privately. What actually is going to happen is that once we've demonstrated the full stack, tested it more, sold a bunch of assets, sort of position more of our community will do a full launch i would say that was a month or two away but right now we can show anybody anything if they understand anything that i've said <laughs> well shani shani how how's the best way to get in touch to learn more if if this sounds exciting to anybody yeah um so uh when the website goes up we're going to um have a newsletter um it's going to be a once monthly newsletter we don't want to you know over overextend everybody on the on the spatial web uh uh you know development uh but um so probably sign up for the newsletter would be a huge one we are going to be doing some events um in the coming months we uh have a office now in uh san francisco uh so we're going to be doing demos um and small events there um and signing up for the newsletter is going to be the best way to uh get access to those events and and to make sure that that you know when they are and uh and how to uh, attend um those are probably the two best ways um but also um, people people with projects right now can okay. get in touch for these private demos and like get a sense of like okay uh, we can start working with you with our projects, even though we're not launched yet, right? Even though we're not public yet, yeah, sure. But I mean, they, they'll see that the technology, that the registry and the discovery system, the supply and demand side of the model are are, are technically technically functioning right now. It is not finesse enough for us to push them public. What what I would say um, is that just to, just to clarify, you know, we've got an event in San Francisco at the end of. September will be in New York for uh, Tech Week, and those will be private events. But contact us, and we'll you know we'll get you in. And if you want a demo, or you're curious, let's chat because you you we'd like you to join the the cluster of, of people and companies and and creators that are um, that are already involved. Well, and also, I mean, obviously, I'll have in the show notes uh, links to to connecting and involved, but. 
anyone interested, also contact me and I'll forward you on or whatever. One last thing, John, um, in terms of people um, that are excited by this idea, interested in learning more, um, the the fundraising is still going on. We still have an open round at the moment, right? No, not quite right. So, so we closed our uh, pre-seed round in um, in January. We raised two point six on a fifteen million dollar valuation, which was good. I think you know, it, actually, we got offers that were higher than that, but I thought that would be um, kind of irresponsible. Uh, w- what's happened now is that um, uh, I think so. So, we believe we're about to start making money properly. Um, but there is so much interest to to scale the, the 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 technology stack and the sort of market position that we we've put together that we are we are having investor conversations. Our plan is to once once we start monetizing on a responsible basis, we we will have something that looks like a business, and we, I think we should raise more money. Um, uh, but the but the but the seed round, the formal seed round. Um, may open on, on a preemptive basis because there's just a lot of interest coming in. We, 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 we've spoken to basically all of the large, like conventional um, uh, tech investors. We have a, a, a good conversation with all the ones we've spoken to. Um, very happy to have other conversations. I mean, our key uh, vision, right, is to make sure we're building a, a hum- humanely focused, creatively driven, hyper-technical company in the in the uh, digital spatial environment and asset space and so if you're interested in that rather if you're interested in that let's talk (laughs) (laughs) because if you're just interested in money then well maybe it might be a good investment we probably will we will want to be focused on building a cool thing well and um let's end by saying this um we wanted to do it this way, be a little vague, but also sort of talk broadly about the the themes of the metaverse and things like that as an introduction um, to the idea. And then when we can share more, share all the things we're going to do it. So this is sort of a pin in uh, y'all are coming back soon, and we're going to have a lot more to share very soon. Yeah. Thanks for that, Brian. I mean, you know, just, just one reason doing one reason for doing it this way actually is it's kind of important to us not to get sucked in. But when people see the website, they'll get this very clearly. We're very anxious not to get sucked into the to the the sort of maelstroms of conversation, either you know, hyping visions of product product visions for you know immersive VR or counterattacking presumptions around what spatial tech was going to mean. I think we've got a nice opportunity to contribute something practical here. And so being able to kind of layer up our narrative bit by bit <laughs> is very useful to us. And so thank you for that. Oh, thank you for investing, but also thank you for giving us a chance well, to like, right. seed the conversation a little bit. Money money is money and, and my checks are small, but the, the platform hopefully to join the conversation is, is what's useful. And also why I'm excited because, you know, it's, it is this sort of conversation about building the next new thing, the next big thing, as opposed to just um, building for money. That's sort of why well, one, I, I wanted to invest. Say- yeah, one thing I would say, just 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 a just a final point, because it's something that I think Shawnee experiences quite a lot, and I, and I and I think that it's a, it's a very useful thing to, to to maybe end on, which is that no one knows what the fuck is going on, right? No one knows where this is going, and that's why we that's what I believe, and what we're building is what I call infrastructural, because we're very anxious to avoid preempting or productizing in a fancy sense where this is going in the same way that you know exactly as you said people that talk about the site you know talk about cyberspace presumed it would be x or y right our assumption is there's going to be a ton of spatial content and so what i think is actually very valuable as an entry point for people is 
the honesty of saying, I don't know what the hell this adds up to, metaverse, spatial tech, spatialization of the internet. But what could it be, right? If there were infrastructural tools, if I could get 3D shit, very high quality for a very good price, directly in contact with creators who are rewarded and are creatively associated with what I'm doing, what would I do with that? So whether you're a brand or you're a city planner or you're anybody pondering this stuff, start where you are, right? You know, Shawnee's, you know, maybe, maybe Shawnee can just, just mention briefly a couple of the sectors that are engaging in this, right? I don't think they know what they're doing, but everyone is excited and we welcome that. We don't want people to think, Jesus, I got to be a metaverse guru or understand what USD is or any of this stuff, right? Shani, let, let's let you have the last word. Who, who are you working with? Like you're working with uh, architecture firms, municipalities, who's interested in this idea? Not naming names, just uh, tell me yeah. where the excitement that you're seeing is. Yeah. Um, first, I think I, I kind of want to like circle back to like some of John's points and like your original question regarding kind of where the metaverse is going. Um, I think just kind of, you know, fundamentally, at the, I believe, um, and, you know, we believe as a company that um, there's no kind of like set stable state. It's all just like kind of, you know, flows of energy and, and wants and needs and technology beget other wants and needs. And so we're like creating that foundational layer that people can use. Um, and so as John said, we're not trying to be, um, we're not trying to preempt uh, what kind of what the metaverse is going to be. We're just trying to help people um, kind of get involved in the ways that they are right now and, and give them tools um, to, uh, to interact with the spatial web. Um, and so right now there's a, uh, you know, we're focusing on a couple on the demand side, a couple different, um, uh, segments of the market. Um, uh, but very specifically, you know, as, as we all know, um, you know, brands have been really jumping into, to being in the metaverse and having metaverse experiences, um, it's same as, you know, those creative agencies that they work with. So we're very closely working with, um, you know, a couple creative agencies and, and figuring out kind of how our tools can benefit them, um, what their pain points are, what our solutions can be to help them, um, you know, create these metaverse experiences or other, um, kind of spatial, high quality spatial environments. Um, and same with, uh, brands and stuff like that. We, we have a whole demand side analysis that breaks down, you know, multiple different segments of the market on the demand side and everywhere from, you know, kind of games and more persistent metaverse experiences to, you know, more technical, um, metaverse, um, demand side categories. Um, but right now we're really kind of, um, we are focusing on where the metaverse is right now. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that we're, we're focusing on it in a way that we that we think we know how it's going to end up. We're focusing on it because that's just where a lot of the interest is. Um, and uh, we want to kind of enable uh, all the people working in the metaverse right now to to have higher quality um, spatial environments um, and, you know, more easy turnkey type environments and licensing models so that they can, um, you know, have the best metaverse experiences that that we can have available right now. Well, as I said, uh, we're going to come back and talk more about this soon, probably uh, several more times um, when we can tell you all the things and reveal all the things and even do actual video demos um, soon. So um, look for that, everybody. Um, John, Shani, thanks for coming on to tease, but also to lay the groundwork for, for what we're doing. And um, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian.